Today is March 25th, 2018. The title of today's message is No Matter What. No Matter What. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. No Matter What. I was thinking through the, the past few months worth of sermons. In December, we had a 12th round series that was teaching us how to clinch, turn, and mount an offensive. In January, we learned about the Talmudim series, about how to press in, to get taken in and attached to what God is trying to do. Since then, we've had sermon after sermon that has been provided to us to not only handle what's going on today, to not only acknowledge what we've been through in the last few days and to, to help us with today, it's preparing us for tomorrow. This is a season of growth. I told you last Sunday that I felt like the Lord was going to start doing miracles, verifiable healings and miracles in our midst. I heard that at the Brown home last night, we had a good old fashioned prayer line. Had Rick be healed of a foot injury as he was taking communion after you prayed for him. If that's all you want, then we could be done and go, man, that was kind of neat. I think the Lord is requiring that we stand up, that we go forward, that we press in, in each and every way. Last week, last Sunday, we learned how to kazak and amats. So that we wouldn't have liquid hearts. On Wednesday, Pastor Matt told us why we're asking you, why we need that kazak and amats, why we need the power. It, in fact, has a purpose. Today, I want to run through some scriptures very quickly with you because you know these. I just want to do a little rapid fire. Are you with me? Let's do a little rapid fire scriptures and see if you can tell me one of the themes of today. Exodus 14 and verse 13. Are you there? Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, stand firm. firm. Turn to that other neighbor you didn't want to talk to. Say, don't you be afraid. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. Anybody got an area in your life where you need to see some deliverance going on? Come on now. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Wow. But I thought he just said stand firm. Yes, stand firm. Stand firm. Let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Let's start. In verse 17. It says this. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Wow. What does it take to overcome fear and discouragement? A little kazak and amats. A little realizing that he's going to help us to fight our battles. That we can, in fact, sing praises and make his name glorious because he is helping us. He is with us. He is encouraging us. He is strengthening us in every way. Your prayer time is not in vain. It may feel like it's in vain when you're praying. You may feel distracted. And it is not in vain because the Lord is with us and he is strengthening us. That as we continue to be faithful in the reps that he's giving us, just be faithful. 
Just continue to be faithful and stand firm. And let's see what the Lord does in our midst. He's beginning to stir some things in us. He's definitely stirring some things for our team. He's definitely giving insight. He's definitely causing the right connections. But what about us here? Turn to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9. Isaiah 7 and verse 9. It says this, the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Wow, what a neat little phrase in there. If you're not learning how to stand firm today, my friend, you're not going to end up standing at all. You're going to fall. We want you to be able to stand firm here. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Rapid fire. Luke chapter 6. Let's start in verse 6. It says this. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house. I will now get into the correct chapter. Y'all are so sweet. Y'all just went. (gasps) Sorry. Wrong page. On another Sabbath. Luke 6, 6. He went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. Maybe he was kind of like Ehud or something. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Well, that's kind of fun, huh? So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. They're going to catch Jesus, and they know that he's in, he's somewhere, and he might do something crazy like actually heal somebody. So they're hoping that he'll heal somebody so they can catch him. Wow, what wicked hearts. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. Yeah, he always does, doesn't he? We're not always sure what we're thinking. Sometimes we explain our thoughts in their one way, but Jesus always knows exactly what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and take your stand in front of everyone. Now, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the Pharisees. They're trying to catch him. Can can you just put yourself in the man with the shriveled hands position for just a minute? You know, it's kind of like you would do... uh, have a first-time guest and you have them come up on stage and talk, right? Let's highlight the guy who's new. Let's highlight the guy with his infirmity. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Yeah, you know who we're talking about. Come up and stand in front of everyone. We know what's going to happen in the story. But do you realize that oftentimes the Lord is requiring us to stand up and to follow His will before you know the outcome? Isn't that most of the time? Stand up. Have faith in what I'm doing. You keep praying. Why? Because we don't see anything. Yeah, but you go ahead and stand up in front of everybody. You go ahead and declare that I'm going to start doing miracles in your midst. You go ahead and declare that I'm bringing growth to this church. You go ahead and declare. You tell them that I'm strengthening them. Yeah, before it happens, before you can feel it, before you can see it, he's starting to do these things. You tell my people to quit looking at other fields, but look at the field that he's put you in and to cultivate the field that you're in. You do it before it looks like you should. You do it look like before anyone else can see it. That's actually, by the way, you want a secret of ministry? Secret of ministry is that you're always trying to say things that nobody else can see yet. You're always trying to tell people something that's not there yet. You're trying to warn them about something that is not yet happening, but soon will because you can feel it from the words of the Lord. That's really what he requires of us all. 
We listen to his voice. We stand firm. And what happens? Then Jesus said to them. (laughs) Wait, wait. He's standing there. You realize that there's no dialogue from the Pharisees saying, we're going to watch you. All this is, we know it because of the scripture gives us the picture. He tells the man to stand up. And then who does he talk to? Does he talk to the man? He talks to the Pharisees. What an interesting thing that the Lord does. I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man. Now, we picture Jesus as so meek and mild. I, I, one of my favorite songs right now is The Lion and the Lamb. I love Jen's summation of it is that Jesus Christ is both the lion and the lamb. He's overcoming demonic forces and giving our men such a gentle, soft heart towards the lost. I I love both aspects of it. It's not an either or, it's a both and kind of thing. But he looked around at them all. Jesus is being a bit of a lion here. He's about to heal a guy and be very gentle and it's going to be wonderful. But they're standing in his service. And he gets the guy with the shriveled hand and he stands him up in front of everybody and says, So, which one's better? Is it okay for me to to heal or save? He asked them this and then he looks around at them. He looked around at them all. What kind of look would Jesus Christ give you if you're a Pharisee and you're trying to catch him heal someone and he's actually going to heal someone right in front of you? You want to catch me? You think you're going to trick me into something? Here's your chance. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you right here. But I'm going to put it in a way where you're going to understand that this man standing is standing by my word. He said, then stretch out your hand, man. He did so and his hand was completely restored. Come on, what do you need to stretch out in faith today? What part of your life do you need to stretch out that maybe is a little crippled? That maybe is, is, is somehow shriveled. That it should be more. It should be stronger. You should be able to do more with it, but you can't right now. And Jesus is saying, would you stand firm? If you will stand firm, you will put yourself in a place that I can call out to you and say, now, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your faith. Stretch out your actions. Stretch out your deeds. And I will do something miraculous in you. He didn't, he didn't say it was going to gradually get better over time. He said, you stretch it out and it was completely restored. If you've ever had a broken arm or a broken limb, you put it in a cast, what happens? You get muscular atrophy. Your muscles shrink and shrivel because you're not using them. Apparently that's not the case here. It's not just that his arm stretched out. It's that his arm stretched out and was completely made right. Come on, there's some areas and lives in this room that needs to be stretched out and be completely made right. You know what that requires of us? Stand firm. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, stand firm. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Let's look at verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Do not be afraid of what you are currently suffering. Hey, how about you just not worry about suffering at all? How about you realize that suffering is actually good for us? More on that later. 
I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. You stand up and do what's right and be faithful. And I will give you the crown of life. Turn to James chapter 5. Just a few pages to the left. James chapter 5 verse 7. Are you there with me? Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and see how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. I hadn't intended on talking about this verse, but I want to highlight it to you in light of Miss Joe's prophecy to us this morning. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. And how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. Some of us may be looking at our own fields and being and lamenting the fact that things aren't growing faster or more. See how the farmer waits for the land. See how the farmer continues to work the land every day. You know, farming is a very, very difficult task. In the United States, we've gone from most people being farmers to almost no one being farmers. We've now got combines and machinery where single farm families are taking care of 100,000 acres of land because they just hire the people instead of it being handed down where each man and each family, the reason you had big families is you had a lot of land to work. But they understood what it was like to day in, to day out. No days off, you got to get up. You got to tend to the land. You got to continue to tend to the land. You almost have to cultivate the land that you're working. Come on, church. Let's not just hear the words of the Lord and go, wow, that was nice. What do you need to cultivate in the field that God has put you in? What do you need to be faithful to engage in? I'm just trying to get your attention. I will use any means necessary. Don't make me do it again. What parts of your field do you need to cultivate today? that you need to get with every single day, that you need to work on, that you need to think about, that you need to sow and invest and and take the weeds out? What part of your field must you cultivate today? Moving on. Verse 8. You too, be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other. Uh Uh-oh. That's always amazing to me. Out of all the things that the Bible can put before us, it's worrying about whether we're grumbling. It matters to the Lord if you are grumbling about your current situation. If you're grumbling about how tired you are. If you're grumbling about your life and and what it is. The Lord cares about that and says, don't grumble. And especially don't grumble against each other. Or you will be judged. You think he's serious about that? Does that sound like a firm warning to you? Sounds like firm warning to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15. Let's look at verse 58. It says this, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Everybody say, stand firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. A very familiar passage. 
Goodness gracious, I can't tell you how many times I've used this verse. I know in the last few months, I know this verse has come up probably 10 times in the midst of our sermons. At least. And yet here we are again. Therefore, my dear family, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. You know what I think the Lord is helping us do? I think he's helping us to learn how to stand firm. Let nothing move you. So what does that mean? If you still have things that are moving you, you're not yet standing firm, are you? Not the way that he's wanting you to stand firm. If there are situations that can start causing you to to backpedal, if there are certain situations that can cause you to be moving, even if it's a nervous moving. I love little kids. I love to see just, okay, stand right here. They can't. It's it's a difficult thing to stand still, to stand firm. Just stand right here and don't move. Some of them, their eyes will start twitching, right? One of Rob's sons, love him. He'll do that. You're like, stand firm, stand right here and look at me. And he'll, you will even have his hands, your hands on either side of his cheeks. And he'll start looking (laughs) with your eyeballs. Look at me. It's funny, right? It's a kid. We, we all love it. It's great. Yeah, The Lord is saying, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Let absolutely nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Now that sounds easier than it is, isn't it? You're always going to give yourself fully to the Lord. What does that mean? It means you're going to get tired. It means you're going to get worn out. It means you're going to have to learn how to be, instead of something that's only receiving this, this giant vessel that's supposed to get poured into, when you start giving yourself fully to the Lord and He starts flowing through you, you know what happens? You don't have enough time to keep very much for yourself, do you? You're always looking to pour out, to pour out, to pour out, to pour out. Why? Because you're giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Boy, that's an important thing for us to learn. When you give yourself fully, you know what happens? Is if we're not careful, we want to give a little bit less than fully. But there is no room for less than fully. That's not what this scripture says. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? What's the last phrase? Because you know. Everybody say, I know. I know. Everybody look at your neighbor like, you know it too. You know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know. It's been made known to you that what you are doing is not in vain. So when you're praying... When you're trying to get your home in the right order. When you're trying to figure out what the Lord is doing in your job. How many people need some prayer for jobs right now? Yeah. Twenty-five or more people in the church need some prayer about jobs. You know that your labor is not in vain. That you know not just your labor is not in vain. What does it say? That your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Come on, as we're praying, it's the, most, it's the most defeating thing to think that you're going to do something and not see any movement. Yeah, that's why it uses the example of farming. You don't plant a seed and tomorrow you get a crop. Duh. Yeah, but we treat our Christian lives that way sometimes. Even people here in this room. We're expecting God to move on us be like, Lord, I've been doing this a whole 14 days now. <laughs> I've been praying so passionately for the team that is over there, the swan team, Lord, for 14 days. Don't I deserve a medal? 
Go to love. Can I have some of my prayers answered? No. No. Just stand firm. After you've been doing it for 14 years, then maybe we can talk a little bit. We've got to get past this idea that we're going to do something today and tomorrow we get blessed with it. We get blessed with the answer. How about we dig in and learn how to stand firm in everything that we're doing? That's what the Lord is speaking to us as a church. That's what he's working on us. It's almost like, just like Jesus in Luke chapter 9, for all of our King James fans, here you go, that Jesus set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. For the rest of us in the room, it says that he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Whether you set your face like flint or you resolutely set yourself on something, that is the attitude that we are supposed to have. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians. Since we're in 15, let's turn back a few pages to 1 Corinthians 10. Now that we've established that we're supposed to stand firm in Christ, to let nothing move us, because we know that the Lord will work on our behalf. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. It says this, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. On whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. This has to be part of what we're talking about when we're learning how to stand firm rightly. Be careful because there are some people who think that they are standing firm, but they're on the verge of falling. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. You are not in a situation that has never been heard of. You are not in a situation where the principles of what you're dealing with is anything different. There is nothing new under the sun. Even though maybe to us it's a new thing. And God is faithful. Everybody say, God is faithful. faithful. Say it again. Say it again. Man, if only we could remember that. That will help us to stand firm. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, what in the world does that mean? You'll never get in a situation that you by your own strength cannot overcome. That's not what it means. I'm in a situation every day that I don't think I can overcome. We're dealing with things that, yeah, I'm pretty sure I can't do that. The point is, is that as he's with you, as you're standing firm, as he's giving you Kazakh and Amats, as he's giving you his spirit for a purpose, then what can happen is nothing when he is with you. You're the majority. When he's with you, you've got overcoming power. You can stand firm is when he's with you and you're standing in his word. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what he can, what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Wow. There's never anything that should go on in your life where you cannot stand up underneath it. There may be things trying to push you down, but you are supposed to, with God's strength, be able to stand firm and let nothing move you. Not only move you laterally, not only move you side to side or front to back, but neither is he supposed to compress who you are. Cause you to crumble underneath the weight. That is not who we are. Let's look back. We we just read, starting in verse 11. Let's back up to verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. 
Matter of fact, next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. One of the most amazing times in human history that we get to celebrate. The Passover. Pesach. Amazing that our team is going to get to stay with Jews in Jerusalem or in Israel. Do we know where they are? I don't know where they are. In Israel for Passover. In their homes. Please come stay in our home. Eat a Seder Passover meal with us. On the day that we, the people of God, the the Israelites, celebrate that God did one of the most amazing things in the history of mankind and moved our whole nation out of slavery, out of captivity, and set them free. This passage in 1 Corinthians is reckoning back to that. They all passed through the sea. Verse 2, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That's some beautiful things there that we don't have time to get into. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Man, I love it when the Bible gives commentary on itself. You're like, ah, you're just saying that, preacher. No, look, the rock, in fact, is Christ because it just says it. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most, most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. And the next few verses tell us why. And the reason I'm reading this is as we're learning to stand firm, I want nothing to move us today. Let's make sure that these things aren't present in our lives. Verse 6, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Now, now go with me here for just a second. Pretend like you don't know what you know. And these are the first times that you're engaging this. Can you put yourself in the position of an Israelite who was in captivity? Your ancestors were in captivity 400 years. You've just come out of captivity. You've seen 10 plagues impact a nation and basically attack and defeat all of their gods. And you would know that because you had lived there your whole life. And then you left and they gave you gold and silver and all kind of provision as you're leaving. Then you get to this water, the Red Sea, and you can't cross it and the armies are coming. And God does something so miraculous. He opens up a sea and you walk through on dry ground. And then you get to the other side. And as you see the chariots chasing you, the water closes in on them. The horse and the rider hurled into the sea. Right? Man, you're standing on the other side and you know what happens to you? The same thing that could have happened to you in Egypt because some of the people in Exodus 6, as the Lord is saying, yeah, I'm going to get you out of Egypt and then I'm going to free you from the slavery. One is a physical location and the other is the condition of your heart. I'm going to get you out from underneath an oppressive authority that's over you. I'm going to move you over here, but you know what I still have to do? I still have to get the Egypt out of you. I've removed you from Egypt. Now Egypt has got to get out. Come on, there are a lot of people in this room that the Lord has removed us from Egypt. You know what he's still doing? He's still getting it out of me. He's still getting it out of you. And this is what it says. Let's look. Verse 7. Do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. You know what? Idolatry in our day doesn't look as much like wooden idols. As it does, it looks like glowing screens. 
Our idolatry is usually not in a Buddha that's found in your closet. And if it is, we need to talk. But we're also going to talk about those of us who have idolatrous things in our lives that we just hold on to more than what we hold on to God. Anybody ever spent too much time on Facebook? Anybody ever felt a draw to, to, to flip it just a little bit more, to scroll just a little bit further? You don't think those things are trying to become idols in your life? Pastor, it's, it's not. I mean, it's just Facebook. Are you really going to? Yes, I'm really going to say this. Man, it, look, it's just a football game. What, what bigger place of idolatry do we have in our society? Maybe the only thing that's more idolatrous than sports in our society is our entertainment system as our entertainment organizations. We want to deify people. Why? Look, where are our hearts? Don't see the word idolatry and be like, yep, I'm good. I'm totally good. That's what these people were doing. They had eaten of spiritual food. They, have, they had partaken of spiritual drink. They went through the Red Sea. It was almost like they were baptized with Moses. And they're sitting here not pleasing God with their hearts. Verse 8, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did. So what do we have? We have idolatry. We have some of them indulging in pagan revelry. Man, this was so easy in Louisiana. You get around a Mardi Gras time and everybody understood what pagan revelry was. Oh, even the Christians. Because they go out to some parade and watch and enjoy the, the floats. Pagan revelry. We have, I have a pretty clear idea in our modern times, at least of a Mardi Gras kind of instance. What does pagan revelry look like in your home? What does it look like in your life? Let's make sure. Let's examine our hearts to make sure that we are not indulging in these things. Sexual immorality. We should not test the Lord. Now, come on now. Verse 9, we should not test the Lord. That sounds different than idolatry, doesn't it? Idolatry sounds like, yeah, I don't think that's me. Maybe it is, but maybe it's not. Pagan revelry. Uh, I don't know. Test the Lord? Yeah. How do we test the Lord? Come on, church. How do we test the Lord? Don't we look at our field that we're in? Don't we look at the field that we're in and presume that we should be in another field? Don't we question the things that God has already told us? Aren't we testing the Lord when He instructs us to do something and we decide that He meant for three days? He meant a long weekend? He meant until the time something else replaced that? Are we not testing the Lord in these things? And do not grumble, as some of them did. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand that if you've ever grumbled. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand if you've grumbled in the last few days. Do you see how clear the Word of God is to us? Now let's look at verse 11. These things happen to them as examples. They happen to them as examples. Why? Yeah. We're looking at the Word of God so that we won't replicate these things. So that we won't be like some of the people who were there with Moses saying, Yay, our deliverer, our savior, our freedom. Thank you so much, Moses. And the three days later, they're asking that God kill him. They want to kill him. We're out of water. I don't have what I need anymore. You're no longer the savior. We, we should go back 
into the slavery that we were in. Same group of people. In John chapter 12, what are they crying out as Jesus enters into Jerusalem? Hosanna, come save us now. Save us quickly. We love you. You're the best. You're awesome. Can you come touch my baby? Can you, can you high five me? Can you bless me? What are they crying mere days later? Crucify him. Come on, we can't be those people who in one minute are saying one thing and in the next we have drastically shifted. This is, these are examples for us that we might be able to stand firm in the Lord. Let's turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. What are the things in your heart that you need to make sure that you're able to stand firm? Come on, do we have grumbling going on in our hearts? Are we testing the Lord with what we're saying, with what we're doing? Are you so full of fearful speech? You know, one of the things that I love about what this church teaches We have a God who knows everything. He brings everything from the darkness into light. There's nothing that is hidden from Him. But we don't have an enemy that is as capable as our God. Sometimes we give the enemy the stick to beat us with. Because we're going around going, man, if if one more thing happens in this this category. Say it it again. Man, if if my job were to get in trouble, man, I just don't know. (laughs) What about you? Man, I can't believe it. Man, let's not give the enemy fodder to take us down with. Let's not give him the stick to beat us with. Let's have faith-filled words. Let's have faith-filled actions that we will stand firm. I know this this is straightforward, right? How many words do we say in a day, though, that are not full of faith? How many times are we testing the Lord even in our actions? Come on, guys, we we can do this. Romans chapter 15, let's look at verse 4. We see in 1 Corinthians 10 that there are things that are recorded to warn us. Let's look at Romans 15, 4. It says this, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Everybody say, teach us. us. It's not only to warn us, but it's to teach us. That's what the Word of God does. It instructs us, it corrects us, it rebukes us, it trains us in righteousness. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, (laughs) we might have hope. Come on now. This word of God is here to teach us through the encouragement to have endurance and the encouragement of the Tanakh the encouragement of the Older Testament, that we might have hope. Uh, Joy, can you put up the first slide, what I think is the first slide? One of the things that it says here is to teach us so that through endurance, hupomone. You know, Pastor Matt had a sermon about a month ago. I think it was on February 18th, day after February 17th, where we were in Mexico. Well, it's called Baptism and Perseverance. I want to encourage you to listen to that again this week. In that, in that sermon, he said, Hupamone. He gave us another definition for Hupamone. It's perseverance. It's to bear up under pressure. It's to have patience. The last part of it, 
says and refers to the quality of character which does not allow one to surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. Hupomone is the quality of character that just doesn't quit. Come on, do you have hupomone today? Do you have enough character in you that just won't let you quit? Let me say this another way. How easy it is it for you to quit something? We're in a generation that it's easy to quit. It's, it's, we can't even, you're not even on the scale yet because people quit things so quickly. How easy it, is it for us to quit or do we have hupomone? Do we have that quality of carry that just says, I'm not going to quit. I'm feeling sick today. You know what? We're going to go ahead and press in and do it. Hey, uh, this, is, this circumstance has changed in my life and it's difficult. You know what you're going to do? You're going to press in and you're going to keep doing it. You're going you're gonna to not quit. Why? Because quitting gets to be a habit in your life. If you quit today praying because you just didn't want to pray for 60 minutes, so you decided that 56 was okay, pray for the hour. I'm not even saying that there's something magic about 60 minutes. I'm saying that there's something important about you praying and fulfilling your vow to the Lord. That, that you get up and you go after it. That there's this desire, there's this quality, there's this character in you that won't let you quit. That will not let you quit. Here's the next word. That will have endurance and that you'll have encouragement in the scripture. The word encouragement here is perichalesis. It's the act of exhorting. The encouraging, comforting someone. Uh, hold your place here in Romans, and I want you to turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. In verse 25. Paracalesis should remind you of something. In John 14, 25, it says this. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. But the counselor, everybody say the counselor. counselor. That word there is paraclete. When it says that the word of God, that God wants to, in fact, hupomone, give us the endurance and the encouragement through scripture. He's saying it's the same type of encouragement that the Holy Spirit gives. That same kind of counseling, comforting spirit that the Holy Spirit will give. Let's go back to Romans chapter 15. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Everything that was written. Good, bad, and otherwise. So that through endurance and encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. Hupomone, by the way, is always connected with hope in the Newer Testament. Also connected in the Older Testament as well. Verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. That's kind of, I think that's kind of an interesting thing. Give you a spirit of unity, yeah, amongst yourselves. Talk amongst yourselves. Right? Not just a spirit of unity like me and God. Like we're unified. He's saying... May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity amongst yourselves. How's your unity here in this house today? One of the things that we've been praying very diligently for, for our team and Aswan, is the unity of the team. Unity, Lord, unity. Shalom, unity. Encouragement, unity. Refreshment, unity. 
This is something that we're praying for them. And you know what the Lord is saying today? Yeah, I'm also wanting it for you. Let's look at a few passages of Scripture as we get ready to, to turn the corner and get ready to end. Second Chronicles chapter 30. We're going to talk about unity for just a few minutes. Unity. Second Chronicles chapter 30. And verse 12. <coughs> Excuse me. Second Chronicles chapter 30 verse 12. It says this. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind. To carry out what the king and his officials had ordered. Following the word of the Lord. It says unity of, of mind there. You know what that is in the Hebrew? It's the Echad Lieb. It's oneness. It's a plural unity in the center of your being. It's not just all that we think the same thing. It's a, cent- it's a unity in what we really are in our purpose of what we're going towards. <laughs> and it ended up impacting their actions. That's how we know that it was not just a thought, but it became who they are and they moved forward towards a Passover. Surprise, surprise, Passover. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 32. We're going to see a couple of other instances of having this unity of heart. Jeremiah chapter 32. Verse 38. Are you there? It says this, they will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action. I will give them an ichad lib. I will let them be in one heart, in one in the center of who they are, and it will produce the actions that I desire so that they will always fear me for their own good and for good of their children after them. Man, so that God can rejoice in what we're doing. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel chapter 11. In verse 19, it says this. Uh, Let's do verse 18. They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idolatry. One of the things that the reason that I stopped off in 1 Corinthians 10 was this. If you're going to have a unified heart with other believers, one of the things that we must do is continually remove any vile images, any idolatrous thoughts, any idolatrous ways that we have. I will give them an undivided heart and a chad lib, and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Can you remember when the Lord did that in your heart? Can you remember the last time that He did it in a certain area? You didn't even know it was stony until something happened and you went, wow. And that was, that was cold as ice. That was a stony heart. Man, did you see how I responded to that person? Did you see how quickly that I shifted from being joyful to snapping at somebody in a second? Did you see that? Maybe you didn't see it, but I sure realized that there was a stony part in my heart and the Lord needed to remove that stone and replace it with flesh. Man, what an incredible thing. The only other time that this is spoken of, there's another time in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 38. And it's when they said that they had one mind or one heart to follow King David. Having one heart always produces actions. Having a unity of heart always produces 
action in a group. It always does. Come on, say it with me. Always. Always. One heart, a unity of heart always produces actions in us. Let's turn to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. These are the examples. If you look in a concordance under the word unity, these are the first seven examples that you get. From Chronicles 30 to Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of the robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Kind of excited because I think our team hopefully will get up to Mount Hermon. Maybe they'll get to see what the dew on Mount Hermon looks like. That they'll get to stand on Mount Zion and witness what's going on. From, for there, the Lord bestows His blessings, even life after more. Forevermore, when, bro- when brothers live together in unity, there's something about being together and having the right kind of heart. Let's turn to John chapter 17. John 17. In my mind, I've titled this the unity chapter. Because this is what Jesus Christ begins to pray for. John 17 and verse 20. Are you there? My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. This is Jesus Christ's prayer for you and for me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Wow, how glorious is that? That they may be one As we are one, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. Everybody say complete unity. unity. The goal, this is the teleos of unity. The complete goal, everything that we're pointing towards is to have a unity in the faith. You know how we do that? We align ourselves rightly with the Lord. If Brandon aligns himself with the Lord and is standing firm, and if Ella is aligning herself with the Lord and standing firm in obedience, and Jacob is doing the same, and Michael is doing the same, and Daniel is doing the same, you know what happens? We're all becoming unified because we're all connected to Him. We start getting closer and closer. I had one of the best compliments uh, ever since I've been here by Susan the other day. She said, you know what? Like, it doesn't matter whether I talk to Pastor Eric or Pastor Matt or you. She's like, y'all say the same thing. I'm like, hey man, I'm trying to be like these men when I grow up one day. Y'all all say the same thing. Yes, amen. It should be that way. It shouldn't just be your pastors, it should be you too. It should be Spencer. If you go get a, an opinion from Spencer, he should be giving you the same word that we're giving you. Why? Because we're in unity. That's what happens when you're in unity. How many times does it happen? Prison team, you're getting ready for prison ministry. And somebody will come up after a service and tell Pastor Eric, yeah, the exact order of the scriptures is exactly what I tried to present today. Yeah, that should happen. You know why? Because we're in unity. If you're in unity with the Spirit, that starts happening more and more and more. Jesus prays it because that should be the goal. Turn... um, 
to Romans chapter 15. Back to Romans chapter 15 for just a second. Romans 15 and verse 5. May the Lord who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity. Um, Joy, can you put up the next slide? These are familiar words. That's why I'm not spending a lot of time on them. They'll be available online. Homothumadon. I got it. The idea of being unanimous, of one mind, one and the same. What the Old Testament calls ichad. The Newer Testament calls it homothumadon. Having the same purpose. Having the same being all together in one accord, in one mind, in one heart. This is what we have and this is what the scriptures consistently tell us. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 3. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Everybody say every effort. What does that mean? That means you make every effort. That you do everything that you can think of and you do it again. You you run out of things to do so you repeat some of the things, same things you did before. You pray and let God show you another way so that you make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of right order of shalom. Are you making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit? Are you okay with being just a little bit isolated? Are you making every effort to stay in unity with the Spirit? Are you coming prepared to give or are you only coming prepared to receive? Are you making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit? Let's look in verse 13. We have a oneness of faith, of persuasion, of oneness of heart. Verse. Let's look at verse 11. It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be a prophet, some to be evangelists, some to be teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Everybody say built up. up. That's what the Lord is doing in our midst. That's what he's doing right now. That's what he's doing for our team in a swan. He's building us up until we all reach unity in the faith. Why does he build you up so that you're cool and that you're strong so that you can do a lot of things so that we can impress people by where we go on the planet? The reason that he builds us up is so that we can reach maturity and unity. Till we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. You know what unity in the Spirit causes you to prove that you are? Causes you to prove that you're mature. How many parents have had their kids tell them how mature they were in the most whiny, immature kind of way? No, Dad, I can do this. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. Clearly. Clearly this child is not tired. The way that you're throwing a temper tantrum right now, clearly you're showing me. Yeah, they don't even have the maturity to realize if they would just shut up, it might work. But the temper tantrum definitely shows that it's not working. Why? Because they need maturity. You know what helps to bring about maturity? Is us doing the work that Lord has set before us, that it might bring us into unity. 
if we're working hard together, if we're all laboring, if we're all locking arms in prayer, if you are working diligently on your jobs, in your home, to your neighbor, at the store to evangelize people, if you're working, if we're working together, it brings us into a unity of spirit, a oneness that we have. So that we can become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's not just the whole measure of Christ. It's not just the fullness of Christ. It's the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Come on now. It seems like a lot of extra words in there, right? You could have said that more efficiently. Yeah, but more efficiently doesn't convey the importance of what's going on. If you think that you should serve the Lord efficiently, then you're going to miss a whole lot of things. There's not much that's really efficient about seeking unity. It's harder. It takes longer. It's more messy. And it's exactly what God wants from us. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants. I'm not tired. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, do your work. Look at that other person you didn't want to talk to again and say, you got to do it too. Point at yourself and say, do the work. Yeah, let's start there. You do your work. And then we can encourage those. Why? Because it produces unity in the faith. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. We're, we're getting close to an end here. This is, I'm excited. We've got some good stuff yet to go. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14. just too good. Go to 12. Sorry. It's too good. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Yeah, it's okay to be these things. You know why? Because we're talking about the lamb part of who he is. Our church is well balanced on being the lion as well. But you don't get to ignore one part because you like the other. You're supposed to do both and, not either or. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. You know, now that I think about it, to really be lamb-like, doesn't it take a lion kind of spirit to be able to accomplish that? If you're going to bear with, with one another's grievances, aren't you going to have to die to self over and over? Aren't you going to have to just learn what it's like to stand firm even when someone else is hurting? When you would rather go to sleep, but they're asking you to pray with them. When someone texts you and it would be easier to pretend like you didn't see the text. Not that I have ever done these things. Isn't it easier to screen the call and say, I'm just not going to deal with that person right now. I don't want to have to put up with that right. Yeah, that's because you made yourself the center. How about you become the lion who can stand firm even when you're exemplifying the lamb qualities of our Christ. 
bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. It does not put a qualifier on that. Forgive whatever grievances unless it was a really bad grievance. Forgive every grievance unless they really deserve not to be forgiven. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh, (laughs) well, there's the standard. There's the righteous standard that we can hold on to. And over all these put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. In a teleos of oneness. How are you going to do this? We're going to wrap all of these things in the love of Christ. And it is going to give us the perfect, the goal of our oneness is this. Turn to Romans chapter 2 as we get ready to end. Romans chapter 2. Verse 7. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. Make sure you read those words correctly, right? To those who by persistence in doing good What does that mean? That means not just that you did good, but you did it again and again and again and again until you got tired of it, until you got weary of it, and you kept doing it again and again. Who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. If we become self-seeking in this, then we put ourselves in the 1 Corinthians 10 kind of category where we displease the Lord. But we cannot quit no matter what. You cannot quit praying for the team. You cannot quit praying for your lost family members. You cannot quit going after the Lord as hard as you can, as long as you can, every single day. No matter what, you have to persist in doing good. You have to demonstrate hupomone and that will give you the hope in your salvation. That will give you the hope in His glory. That will give you the hope in His kingdom that you're looking for. You cannot quit. Not on a day that you feel good. Not on a day that you feel bad. Not when your bank account is fine. Not when you are so overdrawn you can't stand it. Not when you like your boss. Not when you hate your boss. You cannot quit in doing what is right and doing what is good. There has to be a resiliency that grows in the side, inside of each person in this room. You have to just decide. If it kills me, I will do it right. If it hampers me, I will do it right. If it harms me, if it costs me, I will do it right. And I'll do it right again. And I'll do it right again and again and again. This is what makes a real child of God. This is what allows us to get together in unity. Is if we persist in doing good. It will allow God to move on our behalf. Not trials, not deaths, not woundings, not persecutions, not lack, not excess. No matter what it is, we keep doing what's right because it is, we serve a God who is worth it and he tells us to. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We must persist. We must not quit no matter what. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. 
The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in a few things. Okay, I'm going to read it again. Yeah, well, just trust in me. I like that. But I tricked you. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. That's the reason that I wrote you. That's the reason I wrote you in 1 Corinthians 10, is so you could see how people did it wrong. That's the reason I wrote you in Romans 15, so you could see how people did it right, and that you would be taught and encouraged in endurance rightly. I wrote you to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. How are you doing standing the test today? Can you say that you are being obedient in everything that the Lord is putting before you? If not, then this absolutely is a message for you. This absolutely is saying, you've got to keep going. You've got to persist in doing what's right, no matter what. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Do you have something that you need to forgive some other people for? There are scriptures that clearly tell us if we have a gift and we're trying to bring it to the altar and you remember you have something against someone, that you are supposed to leave your gift and go make it right. You need to make your your, your heart right today. If there's somebody in this room that needs to be forgiven, before you come down to an altar in a minute, you better go make it right. That's not an option. That's not a suggestion. That's not a something that you ought to do. It's something that the Lord himself requires of you so that you can be forgiven of what you need to be forgiven for. It takes courage and faith to stand. It takes perseverance to stand. When you are having the courage to do what the Lord is requiring of you, he will always make you come around and continually search your heart so that there are no idols, there are no unforgiveness. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. When we're talking about battling, doing what's right in the Lord. To have the courage and the forgiveness that's needed are like having our right and left hands available for warfare. We both have to have courage and the forgiveness constantly. We have to have actions and a heart that stays sensitive before the Lord. We have to have a rod of correction and a staff for comfort. We have to have the lion of the tribe of Judah and a lamb that's willing to lay down his life. You have to constantly have weapons of righteousness in your right hand and in your left. So that we can swing blows as hard as we can. Hit the enemy as hard as we can hit. Trusting in the Holy Spirit that what we're going to have next, we're not going to hold anything back, but we're going to persist in doing what's right. In Matthew 16 verse 18. It says this, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church on the rock of the revelation that he received. He's going to build this church to be full of the Holy Spirit. And on the offensive is the best kind of defense you can have. Quit holding anything back. Quit being weary and well-doing. I don't know that anybody in this room is trying to hold back. Well, that's not true. That's not true. None of us want to admit that we're holding anything back. Just having a little bit in reserve, just in case the Lord doesn't answer this next request. Having just a little bit in reserve, that in case it doesn't go the way that we think it ought to, that we won't be embarrassed. Having just a little bit in reserve, 
Yeah, you need to be stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord in every area. To be on the offense in the kingdom is the best defense. That the gates of hell will not prevail against you as you're making your attack. That you will overcome the enemy in every way. The man who is standing actually in the will of God is always a match for the enemy. When you're standing there with the Lord, you are in fact equipped to battle the enemy. Stand firm. Resist the devil. And what happens? He will flee. But you got to stand firm. No matter what. You have to be persistent in resisting the enemy. Your strength depends on your ability to stand in righteousness as revealed by God's word. Would you stand with me today?